Our scripture lesson on this third Wednesday of Lent is from John chapter 18, beginning with the 28th verse. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by which kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus to him and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it uh, to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and your chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Father God, we come before you tonight, and I pray that you would help us in understanding your word in regard to these two kingdoms. I pray that you would use me as your vessel and move by your spirit, uh, moving our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we are continuing with our series, Faces and Places of the Holy Week. A few weeks ago, uh, we looked at the thieves on the cross, and we saw Jesus' invitation to salvation. Uh, Last week we looked at the soldiers, and we saw that not only did his followers believe that he was the Son of God, but also uh, those who had nothing to gain from it declaring this truth. Now working backwards, we see another encounter, an encounter between uh, two great kingdoms, the kingdom of the world, which was represented by Rome and Pilate as its representative here, and the kingdom of heaven, which is represented by its king, Jesus. First of all, a little bit about this man, Pilate. The year was 26 AD, and uh, he came to this backwater uh, province in Judea here, a place where nobody wanted to be assigned. And yet, here he arrived. And at that time, Rome had been ruling over that area for about 90 years. There had been five different procurators who had come and tried to figure out how to deal with these very peculiar and religious people. And there had not been uh, that much success. And that's why Pilate was chosen, mainly because he was very brutal. He was a man who used very brutal tactics Um, He abused the people that he ruled over. And Rome thought perhaps if they send this man there, uh, they'll have some success bringing these people into subjection. 
And so he ruled over that area for 10 years. And in that 10 years, uh, the Jews continued to try to rise up and uh, overthrow Rome in that area, insurrection after insurrection, mainly because of the insensitivity uh, that Pilate had to their customs and laws. Some examples of these would be things like um, when he arrived in Jerusalem. The first thing that he did was he took the ensign or the flag of the Caesar and he marched it up the middle of the, the main street of Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about the history of the Caesars, they believed themselves to be gods. And so what Pilate was doing here essentially was he was declaring a new god is in town and you need to bow down to this god. And he forced the crowd there to bow down and uh, threaten death to those who would not do so, beating the crowd as well in the midst of it. And another time he mixed some of the blood of um, some Galileans that he had crucified uh, with the daily sacrifice. And he took that mingled blood and sacrifice and he put it on the altar in the temple, uh, therefore desecrating the altar. Also, at one point, he stole money from the temple in order to build a Roman aqueduct system, and then he beat the crowd mercilessly when they complained. But right here in the middle of uh, Pilate's rule in Judea, he has an encounter with a seemingly insignificant man, uh, this Jesus of Nazareth. Probably heard a little bit about him, didn't really think much of him, but now here come the Jews, and they've got a problem with this man. And so they bring him in because they are not allowed uh, to put him to death like in the Old Testament where they could have just picked up stones and stoned him or killed him themselves. Now under this rule and reign of Rome, they needed to go through the Roman system. And this was also to fulfill God's purposes um, that were declared uh, in the prophecies in the Old Testament. But little did Pilate know that that day there would be uh, a clash between two mighty kingdoms that they would come into connection with one another that day. And Pilate there was the representative of Rome, as we discussed uh, before in um, uh, the difference between these two kingdoms here, and Jesus representing the kingdom of heaven. There are many differences between the two kingdoms that we could look at, but I would like to look at three of them this evening. First of all, there is a difference in the establishment of the two kingdoms. Um, scripture talks about the ways in which uh, they're founded on, the pillars in which they are established upon. In regard to the kingdom of the world, there are two main pillars that kingdoms in the world establish their uh, rule and authority over. The first one is military might. And any military commander or general will tell you that whoever has the biggest army and the best plan, the best strategies, uh, they get to decide where the boundary lines are drawn. If you can invade a country and overcome its military and its people, then you get to make the rules. And we see this throughout history. We see military might. We see it in Rome here. Uh, the Roman Empire had stretched over 2,000 years, if you include uh, the Eastern Roman Empire, which is known as the Byzantine Empire. And so they had many different um, traditions, and they trained their troops in particular ways in order to do this. They were very successful. And we have this influence today in the West. It's called the Greco-Roman influence. And so we feel it to this very day, uh, this power of Rome. Uh, and much over that 
whole entire area, all the Mediterranean, much of North Africa, um, into uh, Asia Minor, into most of Europe. And so they had ruled and reigned in that military way. And as we think about our own lives as Christians, we too look at the fact that we are uh, in this country called America, uh, the most powerful country in the world right now, a superpower that has great military, military might. And we ask the question, how do we as Christians then relate to this issue of military might or the kingdom of the world? How do we, as those who belong to the kingdom of heaven, relate to this? Well, there are a couple of things that we need to remember. Uh, first of all, as I think about this issue, uh, this last week I was watching a commercial on TV, and in this commercial these young people were standing up and talking about how they were proud to be Americans. That was a little confusing to me because pride is something typically that you have in something that you have something to do with, you know, like, for instance, I'm proud of my work ethic or proud of how I raise my kids or whatever. In regard to being Americans, none of us had a decision about whether we would be Americans or not if we were born here. Uh, God, by his own providence, decided that we would be born into this country rather than, for instance, India or uh, communist Cuba or whatever it might be. And if we were part of those countries, would we stand up and say we're proud to be uh, North Korean or whatever it is? And so we must recognize that it's only by chance that you are really here as an American, that you've been given the opportunity. Now, perhaps what these people were thinking about was the fact that they are grateful that we have the freedoms that we have, and that is something to be thankful for. But in regard to us as Christians, we are aliens and strangers in this world. Uh, the best way probably to describe it is in regard to Babylon. Uh, the Isra uh, Israelites at the time in the Old Testament were taken into captivity, and they were brought to this pagan country, uh, Babylon, and they were forced to work there, to be slaves to it. And in some ways, it's like we are in captivity in Babylon. We are in a nation that is not a Christian nation. It's not uh, a godly nation. And people say, well, we're founded on Christian principles, and that is true. But there was only one, actually, nation that was declared by God to be his people, and that was Israel in the Old Testament. But for now, we are still aliens and strangers. We are a continuation of the nation of Israel. Uh, God's chosen people now are scattered throughout the world, Christians uh, that are living in any different country. And so as we relate to here in America, we must first of all understand that we are part of a different kingdom, even though we interact with that kingdom uh, that is around us. And in regard to military might, uh, perhaps somebody is a soldier, and like my son and I was a soldier, uh, but we are acting in such a way uh, as fulfilling a job, just as Daniel did or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in Babylon, they fulfilled jobs to try to improve the country that they lived in, and that was commanded by God for them to do so. And yet they still remembered that they were separate. They were separate from that country. Uh, they were aliens and strangers in a foreign nation. And we, too, are aliens and strangers in this place called America. The next thing we see as far as a foundation for kingdoms of the world is the issue of fear. In the kingdom of uh, the world, certain disciplined standards uh, must be kept in order to maintain control, and fear is the best way to do this. 
Rome did this through the fear of capital punishment, especially crucifixion, which we talked about uh, last week here. Now, the nations that Rome ruled over were in constant fear. They were afraid of being destroyed. In fact, the leaders were afraid of losing their power, which we see in uh, John eleven forty eight. Here the Jewish leaders say, If we let him, Jesus, go on like this, you know, spreading the gospel, spreading the kingdom of heaven, the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And so you see here that the Jewish leaders were looking to the kingdom of the world more than they were looking to the kingdom of heaven. Here the ruler of the kingdom of heaven had come into their midst, Jesus the Messiah, who was bringing salvation, bringing the kingdom into their midst. And yet they were looking in fear at Rome. Rome's going to come and take away our place if this kingdom, uh, the kingdom of heaven, begins to take domination. They're going to get rid of us. And so they were walking in fear. And we too can also fall into this. A fear of man rather than a fear of God. Um, a fear of what people are going to think about us. A fear about what they're going to say if we stand up uh, in certain ways uh, for the kingdom of heaven. So how is the kingdom of God different in regard to the foundation that it's built on? The first thing that it's built on is trust. Um, this is in regard to direct contrast uh, to the fear that we see. Um, because fear has to do with uncertainty. Uncertainty about what's going to happen to me. What happens if I say something? We see this with the Jewish leaders. They were afraid. Rather, we can look to trusting God that he's going to care for us and take care of us through these different things that we face. Jesus set this example. Um, if you think about our politicians and different ones who uh, are brought into power in different countries around the world, uh, one of the biggest things that unfortunately has become uh, almost a moniker to them is distrust, not fulfilling the promises that they have um, promised during their campaigns. But do you know Jesus is in direct opposition to this? Uh, he promised certain things to his followers, and he fulfilled them. Promises like, I will be with you to the end of the age. I will send the comforter. Uh, I will come for you, and where I am, you will be there also. And so, are we trusting more in the kingdom of the world and what can it can do for us? Or are we relying on the kingdom of heaven and its, uh, and its founder? Another thing that is a foundation as a pillar in the kingdom of heaven is truth. And so we see that this truth is discussed here between Pilate and Jesus. Uh, Pilate asks the question, what is truth? And this is a question that is uh, being asked a lot in our day and age in the relativism of our uh, country today and the philosophies of the age. Is there such a thing as truth? Um, my truth is not your truth. Uh, what I believe uh, is just as right as what you believe. And so we have come to the point where we almost do not believe in absolutes. And it's no wonder that so many are depressed and filled with anxiety here when the moorings of the world have been shaken, the truth which is founded on. And so are we walking in the truth today? Are we willing to make statements like Jesus is the only way to salvation? Are we watering down the gospel? The next thing we see here is a difference in leadership uh, between the kingdom of the world 
and the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of the uh, world, there are two main pillars again. The first one is ambition. I think the greatest example of this was with the Jewish leaders here and the fact that they delivered up Jesus to the Romans because they knew that he was a threat to their position. The only reason that they were betraying him was because of envy. We see this in Matthew twenty-seven eighteen, For Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. He was becoming more popular than they were. Uh, people were showing up left and right to his meetings. He was healing them. He was feeding them. He was doing miracles. He was loving them. And so they were feeling threatened by this. Their ambition was being jostled. Also, we see that we have this in us many times, don't we? In the world around us, when we struggle with following the kingdom of the world um, as opposed to the kingdom of heaven. And so, don't let ambition take you away from the things of, of heaven, the things that Jesus is declaring. Um, looking to our own ambition in this life. Uh, money, security, uh, job, whatever it might be. The next foundation for leadership in regard to the kingdom of the world is that it's self-serving. Pilate proves this fact uh, as he uses this very instance with Jesus here um, as a self-serving thing. Because he discovers in the midst of the uh, trial here of Jesus that Jesus is from a district that is outside of basically the district that he's in. And so he turns him over to Herod, trying to get rid of this problem. And it's interesting that uh, something happened there. Look at Luke 23, 12. It says, And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before they had been at enmity with each other. And so they used this situation in order to uh, advance themselves, self-serving. But I have to give Pilate actually a little bit of credit uh, in the midst of these proceedings, even though he's a brutal man and, and all of this. He actually tried to release Jesus on a few occasions. But then suddenly his own career, his self-serving interests come into play here. Uh, it begins to be threatened and his true colors come shining through because the Jews begin to yell at him, He who claims to be a king is no friend of Caesar. And suddenly Pilate comes to his senses and realizes that his own neck is on the chopping block and he needs to uh, wash his hands of this entire thing. Next we see the kingdom of God here and the kind of leadership that we see in it. The first kind of leadership is that it is a servant leadership. Uh, a great picture of this is um, the servant leader Jesus who is washing the feet of his disciples just briefly before this uh, event is taking place. And it's hard to think of a lower place to get than washing somebody's feet. I mean, you're down there uh, washing in between their toes and whatever it might be. And here's a man who was uh, the king of heaven. He came down to the lowest point. The lowest point, he says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And so he's showing them what kind of leadership, not this ambitious, self-serving kind of leadership, but becoming a slave. And Jesus became that kind of servant for us, a slave not carrying bricks and lumber, but carrying the sins of the entire world. And even now, he continues to serve mankind by making intercession before the Father. 
It says that he lives to make intercession on our behalf, still continuing to serve us, which is one of the most amazing things. And so as we think about our own leadership, as we think about our own ambitions, um, most kings, you don't see them trying to get to the lowest place. They want to get to a place where they're protected. Uh, They want to get to a place where um, they are at the highest level. And for us too, many times we can have that in our lives. Uh, But in regard to the kingdom of heaven, uh, are we looking for ways that we can serve? Or are we looking for ways to be served? And second, we see here that one of the leadership qualities is humbleness. This is in contrast to being proud. Uh, the leaders of the kingdom of, of uh, the world, uh, proud of their accomplishments, proud to be Americans, proud to be whatever. And Jesus here, he stoops low reaching down to the lowest point to save mankind, becoming one of his subjects, taking on human flesh, feeling the things that they did, tempted like they were. And so for us, that humility is what we look for in leadership. We look for it in our pastors, our elders, our deacons, our council, not the person that can elevate us to a prominent place in the community, but to serve the community. Finally, tonight we see that there are different goals in regard to the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. Something that they're trying to achieve here. The kingdom of the world, the first goal, is bondage. Rome's main goal was to bring the entire world into submission and bondage. And it nearly succeeded in regard to the entire world. Ruling over, as I said, basically the, the, the known world at the time in the West there. It's interesting that major political powers still wrestle to establish their brand of government. We see this in the Cold War. Uh, we're going to bring democracy to the world, and we're going to kill people if they don't want it or whatever. You know, Communism, they want to spread their ideology. Socialism, they want to spread their ideology. And so in the end times, we see that this is going to be played out in a wider realm as the Antichrist comes supposedly to bring peace, safety, uh, his brand of ideology to the world, but really with a, a goal to bring into bondage the people of the world. The second thing we see here in regard to uh, the goal that the kingdom of the world has is to bring tribute, uh, tribute to its particular brand of government. And we see this in regard to Rome. They were uh, financially draining the countries that they ruled over so that they could drive their big war machine and expand the borders of Rome. And so, Pilate's main job as procurator was to secure this tribute. And the kingdom of the world still wants to extract uh, tribute from us. <laughs> um, not so much, I'm, I'm not talking so much about taxes in regard to the expansion of, of America or Russia or China or whatever it might be. But there are other ways that we pay tribute to the kingdom of the world, isn't there? That movie that we know we shouldn't be watching, or that magazine that we purchase, paying tribute to the kingdom of the world and the things that are driving it behind the scenes. What about in contrast to the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, one of the main goals is redemption. This is in direct contrast to bondage, to bring redemption to its subjects. The mission is to take back what had been lost in the garden. And in Galatians 5.1 it says, For freedom Christ set us free. This freedom is from sin, uh, freedom from sin, from death, from the devil. And also, the next thing is to bring us an inheritance, one of the main goals. 
The result of this freedom is that we are no longer slaves, but we are heirs to the kingdom. Sometimes we see things uh, on RV bumper stickers like, I'm spending my kid's inheritance. We see that it's God's good pleasure to give us this inheritance according to Luke 12, 32. Not something that we have to scrape or grovel for. In conclusion tonight, legend says Pilate was exiled to Gaul, which is modern-day Western Europe, by Caligula because of some trouble he had with some political issue uh, there in Judea. And there he was said to have committed suicide. His political and military career had come to nothing. And this is how the kingdom of the world treats its servants. The most wonderful gospel message found in these passages is that the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of the world. Because our commander has laid down his life for his subjects, we do not face exile, punishment, suicide. Instead, we can look forward to being welcomed home to a mansion in heaven, to eternal life. Willingly, God is pleased to give it to us, excited. Now, what does that ha this have to do with our everyday life? Because there are many everyday decisions that we make. Decisions toward the kingdom of the world or decisions toward the kingdom of heaven. Joshua 24, 15 says, Choose this day whom you will serve. And so, you have a decision each day. Are you going to serve the kingdom of heaven or are you going to serve the kingdom of the world? And knowing the different foundations, goals, and uh, strategies of each one helps us to understand that it's a no-brainer. <laughs> it's the kingdom of heaven. And Father God, I thank you for this message. I thank you, Lord, for this encounter and the clarity that it brings us that we are aliens and strangers in a foreign land. And yes, we do uh, try to see the benefit of uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, spilling over into this country and this place around us. We do pray for our leaders that we might live in peace. But Lord, help us to always remember that we are ambassadors to this country. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.